Amen. Are you glad that your name is written down in the book of glory? Are you glad you're saved? Amen. I'm sure glad I'm saved. I'm sure glad that uh, being saved gives us instant fellowship with other Christians, the family of God. And again, I'm so happy the Buchert family is here visiting with us tonight. That encourages my heart. Thank you, folks, for coming. Well, open your Bible, if you would, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 15. We'll be looking at this and finishing it off. Chapter 15 is the shortest chapter in all the book of Revelation, but it's very important chapter. Now, um, there are those, I suppose, who wonder about the value of studying Revelation. Well, Jesus promises us a blessing. If we study the book of Revelation, it's written right there in the book. If we were studying a book somehow that told us what to expect in the world from COVID-19 over the next six months, over the next year, and it gave us tremendous insight and detail of all what would be happening in the world over the next six months and 12 months, would you be interested in that? I think most of us would. And I think that we would be wise to study this wonderful book of revelation because it tells us what's coming down the pipe, dear folks. Now we're, uh, we finished off the, uh, uh, the chapter in verse four. And if you have your chapter outline, remember we gave you all these things some time ago and it gives you all of the different chapters and, and what's what in the chapter. And from a, Approximately chapter six down to chapter 19, you have tribulation, but we've got a couple of what we call parenthetical sections where it's not a blow by blow uh, description of events in chronological order, but rather instead it's like the bus is pulled over the bus driver or the tour guide turns to us and now explains various details. And then away we go down the road. Well, from chapter uh, 12 verse one to chapter 15 verse four, is this second of the two parenthetical sections. You can see it there on your paper. Now, something I'd like you to notice, please, if you turn back to chapter 11 and the last verse in chapter 11, we have the opening of the temple of God in heaven. Verse 19 of chapter 11, and the temple of God was opened in heaven and there was seen in his temple, the Ark of the Testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Apparently there seems to be four mentions in the book of revelation of the opening, but from chapter 12, verse one, we get into this parenthetical section. Now go to chapter 15, verse four, it finishes the parenthetical section and look please at verse five. And after that, I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. So you have chapter 11, verse 19, you have chapter 15, verse four. They act like bookends, if you will, on this parenthetical section. And the parenthetical section has taken us through some amazing uh, details. And here the Lord, our tour guide, turns to us and explains things like Israel and Jesus and how the devil came and, and uh, even the coming uh, Antichrist and the 666 and all that stuff. And it's all there and it's all just good for us to know. Well, now the bus is about to take off and we're back now to uh, uh, chronology here. 
So uh, we have maybe at this point, as much as maybe 42 months left of the seven years tribulation period. And there are yet seven more plagues to go. And these things are rip snorting monstrous plagues. Now, if you did the math, divide seven into 42, you might say one plague every six months, but it's probably not going to be that way. Probably more likely the, the intervals between them will get shorter and shorter as the end draws near. That's my guess only <laughs> never been there. Mind you, I'm only taking a guess at this, but it just seems to make good sense. Well, remember the study of God's word is so very important for us because we're told that the word of God is like a hammer. It's like fire. It's like water. Um, we're told to, it's like milk to desire the sincere milk of the word. We're told to study that we may show ourselves approved. Uh, it's, it's, it's like armor that we wrap around us. The loincloth of truth. We're told in Ephesians chapter six. So the word of God will meet every need. It will in, in, envelop encompass It'll walk with us. It'll, it'll comfort. It'll instruct us. It'll guide us. It'll give us wisdom. It'll give us hope. And if we study it, if we don't study it, well, like it says in second Timothy study to show thyself approved. So if you study, you show yourself approved. If you don't study, you just show yourself. So that kind of sums it up a bit. So we want to study the word of God. And we want to be very careful as we study it as well, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we want to do that a little bit just now and study with an aim in mind to rightly divide the word of truth. But what we need to do at this point is go back and do a quick comparison of what Jesus taught on the coming tribulation. So I'd like to invite you to put a little marker there in Revelation 15. We'll be back there before you know it and turn to Matthew chapter 24. Would you do that, please? Matthew chapter 24. Now, what I'd like to do is I don't want to read every verse of chapter 24 and 25, but what I do want to do is kind of go through it and give you uh, the highlights here. And you can write these down. I'll, I'll use the overhead. I've got a, um, a PowerPoint uh, overhead here and I'll use that. And then uh, you can make some notes, perhaps uh, maybe reading your Bible in Matthew chapter 24, <clears throat> chapter 24 and 25 deal with the tribulation. They do not deal with the church age. They do not deal with the, the rapture. It's not found in 24 and 25. The rapture was unknown. Many years later, the apostle Paul in writing to the uh, church at Corinth, he said, behold, I show you a mystery. This is some, something new. It was a new revelation from Jesus to, to Paul and Paul shared it. It was something before hidden, but now it's revealed and it's the, the catching away of God's people in first Corinthians chapter 15. I, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And also in first Thessalonians chapter four, he talks about this uh, rapture as well. And so the Lord Jesus is not talking about the rapture here whatsoever. He's not talking about the church age. He's still dealing with Israel and chapter 24 and 25 deal with Israel. And so uh, pastor Devin, if we're, are we ready for this overhead business here? All right. Let's see if my clicker works. Is my clicker working? 
My clicker's not working. You might have to click it for me. Not working. There we go. There's the, there's what we want. Matthew 24 verses one and two. Now what we have is Jesus speaking of the destruction of the temple. Um, you see here, when he went out of the temple, left the temple, the disciples came to him and, and talked to him about the buildings of the temple, because to the Jews, the presence of the temple signified the presence of God. You got the temple, you got God, you got no temple. You don't got no God. And in the Jewish mind, the presence of the temple meant the presence of God. Jesus now walking out of the temple and leaving Jerusalem. In fact, in um, verse two, uh, he answers them and says, see ye not all these things. Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So he told the disciples some very distressing news. He spoke of the destruction of the temple and any of the buildings that were connected to it. And this is all part of the judgment of God. We know it happened historically in 70 AD. Now verse three, there we are. Chapter 24, verse three. Now the disciples come and they ask, well, when, when is this destruction going to happen? And so. I clicker. It's not I'm working too well. Some days I think I'm not working too well. All right. Matthew 24 verses four to eight in answer to the, the disciples questions, the Lord Jesus now starts talking about events that will happen in the first half of the tribulation here. Many will come in my name saying, I am Christ. You say, well, pastor, we're seeing some of those things today. That's very true. It's like a prelude. That's why I think the rapture is very near. The tribulation is very near because the things that we see that will happen in the tribulation time, we see the prelude, the forerunners are happening now. I don't believe that uh, Adolf Hitler was the antichrist, but he was like a prelude of the coming antichrist. You get the idea. And many of the things we see in the world today, I believe are prelude to what's coming down the pipe and they will come make no doubt about it. All right, let's uh, go back to the overhead here. See if there we are. Hey, it worked this time. All right. Verses uh, nine to 14. Um, he talks about um, uh, the second half of the tribulation. Now in the first half, there's wars and rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, now, these are the beginnings of sorrows. That's the first, the beginning here, beginning of the seven years. Well, now he gets into the second half of the tribulation and many shall be offended and betray one another. False prophets in verse 11. Uh, let's see. Love of many shall wax cold. Verse 12. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now, some people seem to think that that means that uh, you have to hang in there and keep your faith in Jesus, because if you ever lose it, you see, you'll, you'll die and you'll go to hell. But if you maintain your faith all through your life and then you'll be saved, you'll get to heaven. And that's not what it says. Not at all at all. The Lord Jesus is talking about the seven year tribulation. He that endures to the end of the seven year tribulation, <laughs> they'll be saved physically. There's going to be a spiritual salvation, huge one for Israel, but for sure there's a physical salvation uh, at the end. And this gospel, verse 14, shall be preached as a witness there. And then shall the end come, he says. Now, he gets into verse 15. See if we can do a little click. Good. Verse 15 to verse 28. We've got some more on the second half of the tribulation. And this, of course, is the um, uh, prophecy there 
what happened there, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet is going to happen when the antichrist comes in and desecrates the temple that is yet to be built. It will be built and they can build it fast and they will build it fast. And for three and a half years, they'll use it making their sacrifices. They'll have their priests and high priests and everything's all in place right now. They just don't have the go ahead to build a temple. And so the Jews are looking for someone, some political figure to be able to allow them to build a temple. And whoever it is that allows Israel to build a temple, they'll call him the Messiah, but he'll be the anti-Messiah, the antichrist. So they're looking for a Messiah. And the way they think they'll know the Messiah is the guy who paves the way, opens the door, whatever, so they can build a temple. That's got to be Messiah. And so there's antichrist signing the seven and a half year the seven year peace treaty with uh, Israel and paving the way for them to uh, build a temple. He'll be hailed as the, uh, the Messiah. Um, I got to fly around here. Go find some other church. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. Okay. So anyhow, at the three and a half year mark, that's what the Lord is speaking of here in these verses. He comes in, desecrates the temple. And then he says at that point, Take off for the mountains, he says. Flee. Um, now, we get into verse 29. Do a little click there. You guys going to do the click for me? Yes? Good. Okay, great. So verse 29. Um, Jesus is coming to earth at the end of the tribulation. See, immediately after the tribulation of those days, uh, verses 29 to 31, it talks about the cosmic disturbances there with the sun and the stars and the, uh, the sign of the son of man in heaven. Then shall the tribes of the earth mourn. There's the Jews. They shall see the son of man coming in the uh, clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And we have now the next, give it another click there, guys, verse 32 to 35, how they will know the end of the tribulation is near because he talks about here, Learn a parable of the fig tree when his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves. You know that summer is nigh. Likewise, when ye shall see these things, know that it is near even at the door. What things? Well, the things he just described in the previous part of the chapter. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Folks, let's pause here a moment. I remember back in the 1970s, there was huge talk of the Lord's coming again and the rapture and so on. And a lot of Christians thought that this passage here referred to like the budding of the fig tree when Israel became a nation in 1948. And so they said, Whoa, well, this generation shall not pass away. Now this is back in the seventies and they were vehement on this. They said, well, the Jewish generation is 40 years. So you do the math. 1948 plus 40 is 1988. That's when Jesus is coming. That's when the rapture will be. And they just totally, totally did not rightly divide the word of truth. I can tell you right now, Jesus did not come in the rapture in 1988. I was there. He didn't come. He didn't come in 98. He didn't come in 2008 or 2018. And it's 2020. And he's still not here yet. Is he late? No, he's on the correct timetable. We're the ones maybe who's a little bit, you know, a screw loose or something, but the Lord's got it all down. Right. We just have to wait on his timing. And so this here has nothing to do with the church. It has everything to do with Israel in the tribulation at the end. 
And so he's using a parable of the, of the fig tree here. And so, uh, where do we leave off here? Verses 35 is where we left off. So verse 36, the next little click. Give us another click. There we go. Chapter 24 verses 36 to 44 at the end of the tribulation. When Jesus comes back, the wicked are taken away. And uh, we have here this uh, illustration. Jesus gave verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the son of man be uh, in, in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day Noah entered into the ark. And they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also, uh, so shall also the coming of the son of man be. This is nothing to do with the rapture. This is everything to do with the end of the, the tribulation. Because Jesus said in the days of Noah, the flood came and people were taken away. Well, who was taken away and who was left? Well, you know, it was the wicked that were taken away. The flood came and took all the wicked away. Noah and his family were the ones that were left the end of the tribulation, all the wicked will be taken away off the earth. The ones that will be left will be the born again, the saved ones. And I do believe that the nation Israel is going to be saved at that time. There'll be a number of Gentiles saved as well. And then the Lord Jesus will come back to earth at, at that very time. He'll usher in the thousand year millennial kingdom. We'll have heaven on earth conditions. Ooh, Garden of Eden, at least anyhow, if not heaven on earth, Garden of Eden, at least. But we'll have Jesus with us. That's the main thing. Then he talks also here about verse, uh, verse 40. Then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken. The other left behind. See the other left. Well, who's taken? It's the wicked that's taken. And the righteous is left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. One shall be taken. The other left. It's not talking about the rapture. It's talking about the end of the tribulation. When the unsaved are taken away and the saved are left. That's what it's talking about. So he says, watch therefore, um, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. All right, let's see. We finished off there in verse uh, 44. And so we'll do another click there. Verse 45. There we go. 45 to 51. There's a caution to the tribulation Jews to be watchful for the end of the tribulation and Christ's second coming. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in their due season. Blessed as servant. Uh, let's see verse 48. But if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming shall begin to smite his fellow servants eat and the drunken and so on. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day and he looketh not for him and an hour that he's not aware of and shall cut him asunder. See that in verse 51. <clears throat> Ta-da. So it's a caution to the tribulation Jews to be watchful. For Christ's second coming, we get into chapter 25, click verses one to 13. We have the example of a wedding to teach the tribulational Jews to watch. And so you've got the, um, uh, the, the example of the bridegroom and then the, the, the 10 virgins, the wise ones and the foolish ones. And that's in verses one to 13. Again, what is it? What is Jesus teaching? He's teaching an example to the tribulation Jews to watch now click it again, please. Matthew 25, 14 to 30. We have the final judgment for the Jews for the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling in a far country, verse 14 and through to verse 30 tribulate. I'm sorry. Final judgment for Jews. Click it one last time, please. Verse 31 to 46. You've got final judgment on the Gentiles. All right. So that's just a 
comparison there with Matthew 24 and 25, which is very good to do. Let's go back, please, to Revelation chapter 15. So we have in verse five, and that's where we're picking up here tonight. In verse five, the temple is open. Well, I think it's still open from chapter 11, verse 19, chapter 15, verse five. It hasn't closed and reopened. It's never closed. And so here the temple is still open. Now, remember, this is very, very important news. When the temple in heaven opens, there's thunders and lightnings and amazing things happen. That's why we have to keep our eyes open here. Now look at verse six, please. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues clothed in pure white linen and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And so we have these seven angels. Ooh. If you look back at verse one, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous seven angels. Here they are seven angels and they're clothed in white linen, almost like a showpiece. If you will, we find uh, we won't turn there, but in second Chronicles chapter five, verse 12, we find that the Levites who sang the praises of God were clothed in white linen. Isn't that interesting? We find in revelation chapter 19, when Jesus comes back, the saints who come back with Jesus are all clothed in white linen. So I think it's very noteworthy. Now in verse six, it says there's a golden girdle around their chest. It's like how Jesus appeared to John in chapter one, verse 13. There was this glorious, magnificent appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had hair white as wool and his eyes were like fire. Well, he had around his chest here, this uh, golden girdle. Now these seven angels are special representatives for the Lord Jesus Christ. And they have a very important job to do. And we're going to see that uh, as we get into chapter 16, but look please at verse seven, all of a sudden we got a beast that shows up. Now this is not the antichrist or anything kind of beast like that. This is a good beast. And one of the four beasts. Now, if you just turn back, please to chapter four, of revelation. You'll see them there. These are good beasts and they're in heaven. If you look at chapter four and look please at verse six and before the throne, there was a sea of glass, like unto crystal and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts. Underline that in your Bible, four beasts full of eyes before and behind. The first beast was like a lion. The second beast, like a calf and the third beast, like had the face of a man. The fourth beast was like a flying eagle. Now you might want to jot down Ezekiel chapter one, verse 10, and you can do a little comparison later on that. You'll see also chapter five, verse eight, you've got the four beasts again. And so we go back to chapter 15 and one of these, we don't know which one, one of these four beasts came and gave unto the seven angels, seven golden vials, V I A L S vials. And they're full of the wrath of God. This is the wrath spoken of in the new Testament. When the Bible says that we're saved from wrath, this is what it's talking about. This is how we know the church is not going to go through the tribulation. Now I know there are some people that try and split hairs on this and they say, Oh, well, uh, You know, the wrath of God is the second half of the tribulation. That's wrath. And so pre-wrath, you see, 
The church will go through the first half of the tribulation and then be raptured pre-wrath. See the middle point before the wrath begins. I beg to differ with you, my friend, because I believe that the whole seven years is wrath. Now the first three and a half years is just a little bit of wrath. Remember you got chapter 11 of revelation talks about your two witnesses and a lot of speculation as to who those two witnesses are going to be. I don't know. I've given a lot of thought myself. I think it could be pastor deviant and pastor silver, but I'm not sure about that. Don't hold me on that one, but there's going to be two powerful preachers and they're going to be preaching in Israel in Jerusalem and they will cause plagues and call down fire. And if this isn't part of wrath, I don't know what is. So yes, the first three and a half years are going to be part of God's wrath as well. But the second three and a half, that's when it really kicks up like crazy. And we'll see it as we get into these last seven plagues. Wow. We saw a bunch of wrath up to this point in the first three and a half years. But from now on in, oh, fasten your seatbelt, beloved, because it is, it is beyond scary. This is, this is real. And it's worse than any Hollywood movie that's ever been produced. This is going to be absolutely so real. These seven angels, special representatives of the Lord Jesus, girded with a golden girdle, beautiful white linen. And they got in their hand these vials. So um, please humor me here for a moment or two. I, I would like to vent a pet peeve uh, that I have against the modern Bibles because the modern Bibles replace the word vile with bowl B O W L. And sometimes you see it in their pictures too. These angels holding these big bowls, they say a big bowl of wrath. I don't, be- I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And just humor me for a moment. I want to give you the reasons why I believe the King James Bible has it right. I believe that it should be vile. I believe that now modern Bibles can use the word bowl, but I think they're wrong. And I want to give you three reasons why I think it ought to be vile. Uh, Number one is that there are actually two meanings of the Greek word that's translated vile, which they translate bowl. There are two meanings of the Greek word philae. Philae can mean a bowl, but it can mean a vial, a vial, a bowl, a low, broad, flat bowl, or a tall, slender container for holding liquids such as chemicals, drugs, medications, and so on medicines. So the first reason is that there are actually two meanings to the Greek word, not one. Number two, my second Reason is the basic use of a bowl compared to a vial, a bowl, a broad flat bowl was used at the dinner table. No one ever walked around with these things and dumped them. That was not historically correct. They were, they were set at the, the table. Listen, if you want to look at this with me, keep your finger there in revelation 15, run back to first Samuel. Would you please first Samuel? We'll have a race to see who gets there first. First Samuel chapter 10. First Samuel chapter 10. Are you there? 
because we have Samuel and Samuel's on a mission. Chapter 10, verse one, then Samuel took a vial, V I A L a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee? And here is Saul being uh, anointed by Samuel. Now <laughs> Saul is a real story unto himself and we're not going to talk about him, but the translators of our King James Bible recognize a vial when they saw it. Now I know that the old Testament generally is Hebrew with a little bit of Aramaic and the new Testament is Greek. I know that, but what I'm saying is that here's a man on a mission. He didn't walk around with a big bowl of oil. He took a vial and poured it over the top of, of the head of, of Saul and made him King. Here are the angels on a mission. They're not carrying around these big bowls. They're carrying around vials. Why would Samuel ever want to walk, walk around the edge of town with a big bowl in his hand? It doesn't make sense. Now, the third reason why I believe that revelation 15 and, and verse seven should be vile is because brilliant men, I mean, really brilliant, godly men of the past all understood it to be a vile, not a bowl. Jerome translated the Greek philae into the Latin philae, vile. Wycliffe translated the Latin into the English vile. He didn't translate it bowl. Tyndale translated it into vile, not bowl. The Geneva Bible translated it as vile, not bowl. The 47 translators of our King James Bible decided that it needed to be translated vile and not bowl. Now, listen, I know I've gone way over time on this little pet peeve. I shouldn't have even mentioned it to you, but I just want you to see that you can trust your Bible. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I believe that we need an every word Bible. And here our Bible is trustworthy. You may not know a scrap of Hebrew, Aramaic, Latin, or Greek. Maybe even you have trouble with English. I don't know, but you can trust God's book. You can trust the word of God. It is deadly accurate. All right. Okay. I'm sorry. We'll get back now to the <laughs> finishing off here in verse eight. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. The presence of almighty God here in the temple meant the power of almighty God. And God's power accomplishes tasks. It does. That's why we pray because God is a prayer hearing, prayer answering God. We have the need. He has the supply. We have the request. He has the mercy to grant it. And he does want to answer our prayers. And he's got all the power. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. He said, now I'd like you to, uh, Look at this. I know I'm making you flip around a bit here in the Bible, but go back to Hebrews. Would you please chapter nine, find Hebrews chapter nine. Tell you what, it comes to mind while you're looking for Hebrews. It comes to mind that when Solomon 
built the temple and dedicated it on dedication day. The priests, you know, they made their sacrifice. They were coming out of the, the temple and the glory of God filled the place. And it says in first Kings that no one was able to go in when Solomon was dedicating the temple that day. And they had all of the thousands of sacrifices going on that the glory of God came down on that day. It was a glorious, glorious day and filled Solomon's temple. Well, it was the Lord's temple, but filled the temple and no one was able to go in. That's what we've got here in, in revelation chapter 15, but look please in Hebrews chapter nine and look at verse 23. Here we are 23. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heaven should be purified with these. What are the, these it's the blood, uh, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. See in verse 19, the blood of the calves and the goats. And so on earth, that is the pattern of the things in heaven, but on earth it's purified with the blood of calves and goats, but in heaven with something better than those things. Verse 14 for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. That's here on earth, which are the figures of the true that's up in heaven, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. Jesus didn't have to do that. He went once verse 26 verse for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. See, go back to verse 12 also, neither by the blood of, of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Christ died the once. That's why our, our Catholic friends at the mass, when they re-crucify Jesus over and over and over millions of times uh, a year, perhaps millions of times every week around the world. I don't know, but it's an abomination. It's not right. Jesus is not on the cross. He folks, he's not even in the tomb. He's a risen savior. And so Jesus ended up in heaven and presented his blood in the true temple in heaven. That's what the scriptures say. Well, I'm not sure I understand that. Join the club. We'll find out more when we get to heaven, but look at verse eight, go back to chapter 15, verse eight. No man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Like I said earlier, when the temple opens and, and there's thunders and lightnings and the great power of almighty God is there, great things are going to happen. They really are. Beloved, I believe that these days of 9-11 and COVID-19 and all that stuff, they're shaping the world for what's to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear or eyes to see. Oh, Christian friend, are we ready to see Jesus? Because we are the closest generation in history to the coming of Jesus. Are we ready for it? That's the question. We'll have a word of prayer together. And it'd be just a good thing in, in your heart. If you might just say, Lord Jesus, what's your will for my life? What do you want me to do? 
those seven angels in heaven are going to carry out your will. What do you want this saint to do here on earth? What is your will for my life, Lord? That's a good prayer to make. So we'll have a word of prayer together. After which we want to give you an opportunity to give unto the Lord's work to help out here at Grace Baptist Church. We want to encourage you after we pray to go to the donation page and to make an offering. Doesn't have to be a huge offering. If you haven't yet given your tithe, you can give your tithe in. Folks, we're keeping two accounts open. The general and the missions. Those are the two that we're financing. We must keep them both strong. And so after we pray, would you take a moment and give a gift to the Lord? Now bow your head, close your eyes. Loving father. Thank you with all our hearts. Thank you. Thank you for your wonder and your goodness to us. Please bless the study of the book of revelation to us. And next week, if we're still here, if we're not in heaven, if we're still here, open our eyes that we may see more of what is yet to come. Stir our heart and spirit and soul to live for you. Now bless, we pray tonight and tomorrow, each day this week, prepare us for Sunday. Lord, we pray that we would be faithful till Jesus calls us. In Jesus name, we pray. Amen.